Welcome to another Quarren Stream. I am your host, Joe Magician. And today we'll be talking about something that's a little bit later in the news. Meant to do this last week, but there were um there were issues that prevented me from streaming last Saturday. So we're gonna do it today. As uh, you may or may not have heard, the the scuttlebutt out there about Game of Thrones and a song Lice and Fire with HBO's future is that they're planning to do the greatest thing they have ever done. That is, of course, the <laughs> Duncan Egg TV show, the thing I've always wanted. I love Duncan Egg more than I can express and like have any respect from anybody. Um, fun fact, I would rather have the rest of the Duncan Egg series than uh, George finishing A Song of Ice and Fire. I am that guy. So very excited about this. I guess they're also going to do a Robert's Rebellion thing. Whatever. Not really my jam. But yeah, so a Dunkin' Egg spinoff TV show. How's it going to work? What will it include? Like what details do we know about it so far? Figure we do a little stream and talk about it, especially because I, I love. I love Dunkin' Egg. Yes, Duncan Egg, Dunk and Egg, Duncan Egg. It kind of works either way. But yeah, the Tales of the Night of the Seven Kingdoms, which is actually right behind Ghost here. I have the book for it. <laughs> uh, before we get going, I just wanted to do a little promo stuff and then we'll get right into the content itself. Uh, first thing is obviously the my Threadless shop. That is joemagician.threadless.com. If you're watching uh, right now live. There's links in the in the chat. If you're watching afterwards, there'll be links in the description. You can get um, T-shirts, mugs and hang on behind me. Very soft fleece blankets uh, with a bunch of different things, including my actually let me just let me just pull this up again while we're here. Um, there we go. So you have the spooky tree logo. You have my my new logo. You have one that's just a hat and you have the ever popular ass waffle. With a bunch of different uh, options and stuff like that. So uh, joemagician.threadless.com. I think they're doing sales right now. Uh, today is 213. They're doing like Valentine's Day sales. So if you want to pick that up, it's good stuff. Uh, also, obviously, thank you to all my patrons. Uh, a bunch of them submitted questions for this last week, but I'm getting to them now. Uh, for this episode, I wanted to shout out some new patrons since I last went live with Amanda talking about the spooky corrupted weirwoods. Uh, that's Maester Sub Zero Fly, uh, Maester Isabel A, Maester Lady Pembroke of House Fluffy Bottom, Mother of Corgis. Amazing titles you gave yourself there. Well done, Lady Pembroke. She actually uh, signed up today, actually, right before I went live. So thank you. Might even be here watching. You never know. Uh, and the Maester, the Prince that was fresh. I was wondering if that was a reference to the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Probably is. Made me laugh when I saw it anyway. Um, benefits for patrons. You get up, you get access to the patron slack. You get videos and get videos early and an audio only version. If you want to listen to them in that way, for some reason, you don't like my flying graphics or whatever. When I actually release videos, uh, you also get access to patron only episodes. Next one be talking about in a second. But yeah, a lot of good things for being <laughs> For joining the Joe Magician Patreon. Uh, let's see here. Obviously, there's also super chats. We have one already from uh, Ramona Ramona uh, Zamfir. Uh, no message on that one. Just throwing me some cash. So thank you very much, Ramona. Really appreciate it. And of course, as always, Danny McKay <laughs> says happy Saturday. Sent that over on PayPal. Thank you, Danny. Again, very generous. Appreciate that. 
Uh, links again are up. At, they should be pinned to the top of the chat if you want to do any of that stuff. So, also for likes, it's here. So, 150 likes. We got my wizard hat over here ready to go. Although, again, it would be a shame because apparently I got a, I got a good hair day going. Things are going great up top, but I will do it because that hat is awesome. And also, I got my germ hat sitting behind me on my bookshelf. So, that's what. Uh, 150 likes for a wizard hat, 175 for for the other hat, for the germ hat. Uh, you guys slam the likes all the way up to like, I don't know, 200. I don't know. Maybe I'll change glasses or something. <laughs> I'm not really sure. Last time we hit 200, I think I read an excerpt from the upcoming The Tattered Prince video. I don't know. We'll figure something out. And actually, speaking of upcoming videos, so the next one will be about what's Lady Stoneheart's plan in The Winds of Winter, the undead white Catelyn Stark. What she, what is she exactly doing just besides hanging Freys? I mean, it's a noble cause as anything to hang a shitload of Freys. I mean, who amongst us would not hang a bunch of Freys? But and there's something a little bit more going on. Maybe she has more of a plan than just being Mother Merciless. Uh, also coming up, it's going to be the patron-only episode about George's best novella that's not Duncan Egg, and that is, of course, Sand King's is sci-fi alien horror story thing. I read that one again um, a few weeks ago and then read it again a couple more times. And then I had a bunch of nightmares about it because it is such an effective horror story. It's really great. Way better than any of the than Meat House Man, which is the one I did first. Um, so that'll be that'll be a lot of fun. And actually, I noticed something on Patreon. I posted about it on Twitter. Uh, I had put up a patron goal. If I got to 75 patrons. For some reason, I don't know why I did this for my first two goals. I made it things I wasn't going to enjoy, like so that you guys would get like some like satisfaction out of getting me to do something I don't want to. So the first one was Beat House Man, which is a terrible story. Didn't like it at all. And then the second one at 75 patrons is make a story, make a video about Stannis Baratheon that isn't just insulting him the whole time. So we're currently at 88 patrons as of this morning. So we blew by that one. That will be coming up after the Lady Stoneheart thing. I'll be making something about Stannis where I just don't insult him, even though that's what I want. That's what I would want to do. I would just want to make a video calling Stannis um, all the bad names and saying he sucks and praising Renly and all those things. But nope, I'll be doing the opposite. Huzzah. I'm going to have to pull my punches on that one. Although I did end up going to set a, a new patron goal at 150 patrons. I'm going to do a analysis of each of the Duncan Egg stories because I figured if I'm going to make these goals, I should make them like things I want to do. And I would love to talk about Duncan Egg more like, you know, speaking of today, what we're doing. <laughs> uh, oh, and there's also one more thing. Uh, there is a I talked about this in the Tattered Prince video that I was doing a contest to be to give away a signed. Uh, 2021 calendar signed by George R. R. Martin and a faceless coin. And that will be ending in seven days. I'm just gonna put the link in the chat. Um, it's just a bunch of little things you can do to gain entries. Like um, I think one of them is like, tell me your favorite video I've made. Another one is like retweet something, small things like that. So if you guys aren't signed up for that. Go, you got seven days left to enter. All right. Oh, you guys are fan casting. <laughs> You're fan casting uh, Duncan Egg. Danny DeVito as Duncan. Wow. That is that's some casting right there. 
Dave Batista as Dunk. Well, it's got to be someone. Dun, Dunk's basically a giant himbo. So we got to find the himboiest himbo of all time. Maybe one of the Emsworth brothers, maybe the youngest one or something like that. He's basically like Thor. So, I mean, isn't one of his horses is even named Thunder. <gasps> oh, my God. I figured it out. Just kidding. But, you know, he's got to be a big, tall himbo kind of guy. Um, Jack Black as Egg would be amazing. True. Danny DeVito is just going around offering everybody. Can I offer you an egg in this trying time? That'd be amazing. <laughs> Channing Tatum would be a good one. Yeah. Good call, Sarah. All right. So let's let's move on to the actual content here. Let's go into the Dunkin' Egg TV show. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh my God. It's Dunkin' Egg TV show. My favorite thing ever. This is what I want. George, please make this happen. Uh, as I said, I would I would rather have the Dunkin' Egg stories going from, let's see here, from the mystery night all the way to Summer Hall rather than him finishing the winter winter or dream of spring. Unpopular opinion, but I think I would that's what I would want to do. <laughs> so what what is the news? What, what's going on here? So the initial reporting came out of Variety and the reporting is that there's a Dunkin' Egg TV show that is in quote unquote early development. So early development is is quite a wide term. So we're going to dig into a little bit what that means. So other parts of the reporting is they say there's going to be approximately one hour long episodes. Uh, there's no talk of any writers or talent being attached to it. So this could mean that um, a series, a, a potential series runner pitched this to them, or it could be that it was something within HBO that they have a bunch of projects and they want to do one with Duncan egg and that's, and they're kind of kicking it around and they haven't attached anybody or anything to it. Early development can be like, <laughs> it basically just means it has not been dismissed out of hand as a pitch that they didn't, they didn't um, essentially offer it up to their executives and get laughed out of the room. So that's kind of where it is early, early development. Oh, uh, super chat at $25 from Morally for Dunkin' Egg. Love your content. Oh, thanks, Mora. That's very sweet of you. Um, got your question that you um, sent me by email coming up a little bit later. But yes, thank you. So yeah, th there's, not, there's not a lot to go on here. There's no writers. It's not like Ryan Condal who pitched um, the House of the Dragon that's currently being made. This isn't like uh, the Long Night thing where there was de definitely a showrunner attached. There's nobody. So this is this could literally be as as small as like a post-it on an executive's wall that says Duncan Egg question mark. But the to add veracity to it, Variety went on to say that they it is an extremely high priority. OK, I just opened up Premiere Pro. I'm going to close Premiere Pro. Not making a video right now. Weird. Uh, sources with within HBO have said their top priority going forward is they want to make a GERM CU, a, a GERMiverse, as it were. They want all the George R. R. Martin content they can get because obviously they have seen the um, downturn in subscribers and watchers ever since basically Game of Thrones went off the air. That was that was their crown jewel that they have not been able to replace yet. Maybe House of the Dragon will do it. But it seems like they're essentially just going to start just shotgunning all the A Song of Ice and Fire content. They can find everything related to Westeros. They're buying it up. The other one, obviously, was Robert's Rebellion is rumored to be a spinoff show in early development as well. So, yeah, <laughs> that's that's kind of what they got going on. Um, 
They're just they're trying anything and everything. Oh, thank you for the follow on Twitch. DKL167. You must have gone to the gleam thing. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with my computer today. It's like something doesn't want me to talk about Dunkin' Egg. There's there's gremlins in the computers trying to stop me from doing this. I'm uncovering the secrets. <laughs> oh. Miss Dubs says my sister interviewed the set designer for House of the Dragon for her podcast recently. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, drop the link. Um, or if any of the mods know what the link is, you can go ahead and post it. Sounds fun. So th- that's really all we have. Th- that's all the information. They're planning hour long episode, which is basically what Game of Thrones was. No writers, no talent, no actors, no showrunner. As far as we know, it's just kind of like. Duncan Egg, perhaps. So. <laughs> I, one of the things that was really surprising, though, for a lot of us that have been uh, big fans of Duncan Egg for a long time is that George has been on the record quite frequently as saying he's not doing Duncan Egg, that that's not the show that he wants to make. Uh, I've got a few quotes here from not a blog. There's other ones, too. These are just these are just a few ones that sort of drive home the point pretty well. This was from a 2013 blog post. Uh, he was responding to a question. He said, Duncan Egg are being discussed. Robert's Rebellion is part of Ice and Fire won't be a separate series yikes about that one sand kings was done by outer limits i retain feature film rights but television rights are gone hmm so i think the television rights things are about probably sand kings he's been trying to make that into a movie or tv show for a long time basically just because it was his sand kings was his most popular story his most um his most critically acclaimed acclaimed thing he ever wrote before song of ice and fire that was really the story that made his name so he's been trying to get that made for quite some time matt's miggles thing for blood raven yeah he'd be pretty good at that although can he be Euron Greyjoy and blood raven at the same time my god that'd be crazy uh we have another quote here from uh 2014 this is another uh not a blood post he says I am frequently asked whether or not there are plans for Duncan Egg movies or television shows. There has been interest, yes, but the rights situation is complicated. Film and television rights to the characters and the three published Duncan Egg stories remain with me at present. But HBO, when acquiring the rights to A Song of Ice and Fire novels, also acquired film and television rights to the world of Westeros. So if we did Duncan Egg with anyone else, we would need to remove all the references to House Targaryen, the Iron Throne, etc. Not completely impossible, but certainly undesirable. Whereas this HEO divided, decided they wanted to make Duncan Egg miniseries or TV movies, they'd first need to buy the stories. That's a much more attractive proposition for all concerned, I think. But if it happens, it will happen years from now, not tomorrow or next week. So in 2013, 2014, uh, George basically said if HBO wants to buy them and make them into a show, then he to- then they totally can. They just have to essentially make him an offer. 2017 is a bit of is a bit of a drastic change from his previous uh, statements about Duncan Egg. He says, we're not doing Duncan Egg. Eventually, sure, I'd love that. And so would many of you. But I've only written and published three novellas to date. And there are at least seven or eight or ten more I want to write. We all know how slow I am and how fast a television show can move. I don't want to repeat what happened with Game of Thrones itself, where the show gets ahead of the books. When the day comes that I've finished telling all my tales of Duncan Egg, then we'll do a TV show about them. But that day is still a long ways off. Okay, so quite a uh, a journey from old Germ here about 
what was going on with with Duncan Egg and getting it put onto the big screen and all that other kind of stuff. So he goes from 2013, 2014, basically going like, yeah, if HBO wants to buy it, we'll go for it. Yeah, totally. Sounds good to me. Um, he also he goes into the rights themselves. This is this this gets complicated. Sometimes when authors sell their TV, sell their books or their scripts or something like that, they sell, they um, essentially give away everything where they'll, they'll give away the entire like book series. They'll give away the entire world. They'll give away everything in it for a large. Well, depending on the, the, the success of the author, a large payday. Gurm has not done that. He's been very clear in the past that a song of ice and fire, even though we use it to describe everything, we use it to describe fire and blood, the main books, the world of ice and fire, Duncan egg. He's very specific that a song of ice and fire is just the main books he has published. So game of thrones to a dance with dragons, eventually the winds of winter and a dream of spring. So when he sold quote unquote, a song of ice and fire to HBO, he did not sell them the other materials. He did. All he did was he sold the rights to um to adapt those five books or those three books at the time i think when he started it but he but hbo was clever <laughs> they said okay george we know you have this other stuff this other stuff in this world that you're not selling us for some reason or they didn't want to buy at the time so they included a clause that essentially said we'll we can only make these five books that are these books you have written and the rest of them that come in the series but you can't take anything from Westeros and go somewhere else. So they essentially locked him out of making them with anybody else without actually buying them. Kind of a shrewd legal move. Um, makes it difficult, but essentially put them into a stalemate where George couldn't make Duncan egg with anyone else. And HBO couldn't make it without buying, without buying these stories, essentially. <laughs> uh, nobody knows what his plans are for film rights and TV rights post-death. That would, would probably be between George and his, um, and his wife and his family and his lawyers. Anyone speculating otherwise does not know. Emma Stone is Ron Hayden Weber. Wow, that's, that's one. So that's kind of the, the legal stuff we're going. But George, very specifically in 2017, said that he wouldn't do Dunkin' Egg unless he finished it. Now, I don't know about you guys. I've been refreshing George's blog and every bookstore I have furiously since this came out. There's no hint that he's gone on and finished the rest of Duncan Egg, the other six to 10 stories he's been talking about. So something very much has changed between 2017 and 2021. If these reports are true, that's one thing to, to keep in mind. Um, it's George and HBO have not confirmed these these reporting from Variety be true. They also haven't come out and said they're false. So they very well could be, but they haven't done it yet. Um, so there's kind of a, a nice, a fun little logic puzzle if you want it to figure out what changed, if this is true, to make George say, yes, HBO, you can go make Duncan Egg and you can go make Robert's Rebellion. Because clearly from his previous comments, it's not just a question of will from HBO. They need the rights to do it. Uh, there have been some guesses that when he that when they decided to make House of the Dragon, they had to go ahead and buy the rights to Fire and Blood, because as previously said, uh, the other stories outside of On a Song of Ice and Fire are not HBO's. Well, they must have bought them because now they're making Fire and Blood the TV show. 
there's uh, speculation about that. I think it came from Adam Whitehead, otherwise known as Wordhead, where he said that it's possible that maybe when they renegotiated George's deal for the rights of Westeros and everything in it, when they bought Fire and Blood, they may have bought Dunkin' Egg, the World of Ice and Fire, um, the whole the whole shebang. They may have just said, fine, we're, we're doing the Germaverse. We're doing the whole thing. And they may have picked, picked up Dunkin' Egg at that time. The curious thing is when you go back to 2013 and 14, it's like, why didn't they buy Dunkin' Egg there? I'm guessing that since George said it was, he had no problems about the series being made at that time, that perhaps they didn't offer him enough that he didn't think it was, or they didn't offer him uh, creative control or something like that. That was a big part of the thing with uh, adapting Game of Thrones is that he wanted a large amount of creative control over the project and to be involved with it in a way that a lot of authors are not. He held out for quite a long time with that series before um, Dan and Dave and HBO came along and caved essentially and said, George, you can have everything you want. We just want to make this series. They met him on his demands. So maybe that's what happened here. Uh, maybe they didn't do that with Duncan Egg, and now they have. The other option is that he has finished the Duncan Egg novellas. I think that is highly, highly, highly unlikely. Um, I, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine that he's actually burned through those at this point. He hasn't written anything about it. All his stuff on Not a Blog is about him writing The Winds of Winter. He's come out and said that he's not going to publish any Duncan Egg stories until after the winds of winter is out. And then even then he's only going to do one and then do a dream of spring. Then he'll do more Duncan egg and fire and blood part two. So I don't think that, I don't think that uh, cat, that part has been reached. It may be that George has, has essentially just changed his mind on um, how much he cares about HBO adapting a series that has not been finished yet, or they essentially backed up, uh, as he's as he likes saying a dump truck worth of money into his driveway and essentially said george we will make you absurdly wealthy beyond your wildest dreams sell us duncan egg and maybe george wants to build another castle and fit santa fe uh maybe he's got big plans for i don't know for for his crazy amounts of money that he more than he already has and, and uh hbo said we're gonna do this whatever the reason it's um, it's very like I, I agree with Adam Whitehead that it's probably related to the sale of fire and blood, the rights to it. Um, that in those negotiations that HBO may have just finally said, fine, uh, we're just going to pick up the whole thing. Clearly, that was a sticking point before. I mean, they just met him. They just met the terms. That could totally be it. Uh, Yusef L. Yusef E says, do you think there will be a sequel to Game of Thrones? Nope. There will be prequels. Um, I don't think we're going to see what's west of Westeros with Arya. We're not going to see John out beyond the wall. We're not going to see King Bran's future, Queen Sansa's future, Drogon and whatever he's doing with Danny's body. No, they are not. They are not going to do a sequel, especially because they have to get the actors back. And that doesn't seem likely at this point. So what's the big problem here? What's the big problem with a Dunkin' Egg show? Well, it's what I've just been talking about. It's mostly that Dunkin' Egg is an incomplete novella series. It's supposed to span the life of uh, a young hedge knight named Duncan the Tall, who are, may or may not be a knight. And it starts with him meeting a young prince, or a young man known as Egg, who is later revealed to be Prince Aegon Targaryen. And the journeys of the two of them, starting at attorney, 
ending at the tragedy at Summer Hall, where Aegon the Aegon the Fifth, as he's now known, is essentially trying to hatch dragons. Wildfire breaks out. Most of the royal family is killed. Dunk is killed, and the Duncan Egg novellas essentially bridge that timeline together from their meeting until their death. And we only have three novellas from it so far. We have the Hedge Knight, the Sworn Sword, and the Mystery Knight. Uh, if you're not aware of what a Hedge Knight is, this didn't come up too much in Game of Thrones. The um, in the TV show it came up more in the uh, in the books a little bit, but really not too much. A Hedge Knight is essentially a knight, but he's not sworn to any house for service. Like uh, if you think about how Stark Jory Cassell is a knight that is sworn to the house of Stark. He basically it, Ned is his boss and he gets provided for with a salary. He gets to live in the castle. Um, but the downside is he has to do whatever Ned says. Uh, Jory has no Jory. Ha, Jory has no. Um, no choice in choosing to serve Ned or not. He's sworn to the house. He does what he says. Hedge Knights have a lot more freedom. They can sort of go wherever they want, but it's it's more of like a wandering mercenary sort of position because they end up poor a lot because they don't have any they don't have regular income. They often do swear themselves to houses for small conflicts or for larger wars. They essentially are the swords of Westeros, but they just aren't called that. Um, so that's dunk. That's what we're doing. We're taught the series itself starts about uh, 90 years before uh, a game of Thrones starts up. So there's actually quite a lot of characters and names that, um, would that cross over when you read Dunkin' egg, including in particular, two characters, uh, Maester Aemon and blood Raven are both alive during Dunkin' egg. Maester Aemon is Aegon the fifth's older brother and blood Raven is hand of the King at, before he gets sent to the wall. So, those two characters make it all the way to the regular books. Uh, there are a few other ones that may have made it. I think Walter Frey is alive in um, in Duncan Egg. But you, you often see a lot of the parents or the grandparents of characters that you will recognize from the main series. So as I said, with the Hedge Knight, it starts off um, Duncan, who has recently buried his mentor, Sir Arlen of Pennytree, is claiming to be a knight. Probably isn't actually a knight. Uh, there's a whole lot of sh- hijinks that goes on. He ends up meeting the young Prince Aegon Targaryen, who is incredibly far from the Iron Throne, which is why he's essentially like living undercover with his older brother, Daron. Uh, yeah, that's true. He's secondly a man in arms. So it's the same kind of thing. It's it's an, a household knights are sworn to sworn to particular houses. They don't have a choice on where they go. If Jory was in the south, he would be a, um, a household knight. But yeah, you're right, because he's in the north. They, they follow the old gods, so he's a man at arms. Good point. Bad example, kind of, but it's the same idea. <laughs> Demand more of Health Blaston. Health Blaston sh- does show up, I think, in Duncan Egg um, during the Blackfire Rebellions. And a big plot of Duncan Egg is that it often starts off with really small stakes. The three stories we have. It's just like this could be like any other day in the life of Duncan the Tall. And then all of a sudden things go crazy. And it turns out that Dunk has essentially wandered into the um wandered into giant moments in history critical moments in history of the targaryen family in westeros like for instance in the hedge knight uh spoilers if you haven't read them you really should they're great but at the end of it the crown prince baylor breakspear dies essentially totally upsetting the line of succession for the targaryens in the sworn sword he ends up just um swearing his sword to sir eustace osgray but what ends up happening by the end of it is Rohane Weber, 
um, is to marries Eustace. He ends up dying. She becomes the combined ruler of Cold Moat and Steadfast. That gives her the social credibility. She ends up marrying um, the head of House Lannister, Gerald Lannister. And from there, you actually get the Lannisters that we know. I believe she's the great grandmother of Tyrion, Cersei, and Jaime. So without Dunk essentially finding his way into this conflict between the Webbers and the Osgreys, we don't get the, the Lannisters that we know. And of course, in the mystery night, he ends up going to another tourney thinking everything's cool, everything's fine. Whoops, he's in the middle of the second uh, Blackfire Rebellion. Holy shit. So that's sort of the running theme where George starts it off with extremely low stakes and then makes it into giant historical changes that would not have happened if Dunk didn't show up uh yeah guilty undertaker he's yeah that's that's a good point he is kind of like a westerosi uh forrest gump that's true um he's as i said he's kind of a himboish character he uh he doesn't quite understand what's going on in the story quite a lot of the time egg is filling him in so that's basically the overview of what duncan egg is uh george has said in interviews that he plans to have six to twelve novellas by the end of the series, um, so far, the the series has been called A Night of the Seven Kingdoms. Again, referring to Dunk, we have three. So George has at least three or to nine more that he wants to write. Yikes. Although they are not that long. Um, uh, so, yeah, this is this is the total width of all three novellas we have so far. They are they are relatively short and a lot of these actually have artwork in them and they have pretty large typeface and spacing. So. George has really uh, padded them out to even make it this long. I'll have to get those uh, doggos later. They're just hanging out on the carpet. <laughs> so, but we know a little bit more about what's going on with Duncan Egg. Um, the, the plan stories, which order they're coming in, what's coming up in the future. So the next one, I'm... <laughs> yes, Aaron Epps. Sorry, doggos. I'll, I'll get you guys later. They're, they're just having a party down on the carpet. It's fine. That was a bad spot to put them. I should put them lower down what, because sometimes I do grab those off the shelf. Bad planning by Matt. <laughs> uh, so the next one, the next plan story is supposedly called uh, The Village Hero. According to George, it's going to take place in the Riverlands. There's really not a lot of information about it. It's during the mystery night we hear from Dunk at the beginning of it that he's planning to go north to Winterfell, that he wants to take up arms with Lord Baron Stark to help defend against Ironborn raiding and invasions. We also hear during the Mystery Night that Bloodraven is very much focused on trying to stop them also from raiding the Westerlands. Unfortunately, detour, he ends up at the tourney, Mystery Night happens. That, that's kind of a, a long-standing part of Duncan Egg is that it kind of works with the Song of Ice and Fire, too, that George has these specific plot points he wants Duncan Egg to hit, but he keeps going sideways on them. And that's the same thing that happened here with the Village Hero. Um, the current fandom meta, I guess, or at least my, my speculation on what's going to be in the Village Hero is that it will probably take place at Penny Tree. Um, as I mentioned, Dunk's mentor, his dead mentor, Sir Arlen of Penny Tree, is from the town. Uh, it's a village in the Riverlands. And it's especially a really good spot for Dunk to go be a village hero at because Penny Tree sits in the disputed lands between the Black, the Brackens and the Blackwoods. And that is a feud that George has not really put on the page too much. We see a little bit of it when um, when Jamie goes there and he works out a piece between Lord Bracken and Lord Blackwood. But it's an important part, especially of the Blackfire rebellions, when you're talking about Bloodraven and Bittersteel and the rivalry between um 
between their mothers for Aegon the Fourth's um, for his fa- for his favor. It would be a really it would be a high tension time for Dunk to go there, and especially it would be really good because later in his life, Egg marries Betha Blackwood. Um, if Duncan Egg go to Penny Tree and they interact with the Brackens and the Blackwoods, well, that would make a ton of sense for George introducing Betha into the storyline and introducing Dunk to her, especially as he would be a teenager around this time. Yes, the war for Barbara's tits. That's right. It's it's a war over some hills, basically. Penny Tree sits between them. Yeah, yeah, Renly Speech. That's when that would that would be at least when he meets her. Maybe he's still pretty young. Um, he's in his young teens. At the time, the village hero would happen. So maybe not a full blown romance for Dunk at the for Egg at this time. I mean, Dunk has romances in literally every single story, but uh, it would be a convenient time for George to introduce that if he wants to. And that's really that's even that is speculation, though. We just know it's going to be something to do with the village, something to do with the Riverlands somewhere on the way to Winterfell. That's all you got. Uh, after that, we're supposed to get story five which is the She-Wolves of Winterfell. Now, this is a strange one because this was supposed to be story number four, but it was supposed to be included in the uh, Dangerous Women anthology that he did with his best, best, best buddy, uh, Gardner Dozois. Dozois? Dozois? Not sure how to pronounce that one. Um, instead, George had, he had uh, She-Wolves of Winterfell ready to go, but he pulled it back. And instead, in that anthology, he ended up publishing... Um, the Princess and the Queen, a.k.a. the story of the Dance of the Dragons, which got us Fire and Blood, which got us the House of the, House of the Dragons spinoff that we currently have uh, in production. So, but by all accounts, She-Wolves of Winterfell is supposed to be basically done. Uh, if you ever wants to release it, it, do- it doesn't need a lot of work. It was ready to go for, um, for Dangerous Women. <laughs> Dunk is a Rhodes Scholar. Oh, my God. Amazing. Oh, no, Crow Third's Eye. Roose Bolton is not alive in Dunkin' Egg. He is not immortal. I thought I made that very clear during my stream. Bolton is not true. Oh, yes. Uh, good call, Morley. Please slam that like button. 150 likes. Um, it'll help with the uh, YouTube algorithm and letting people see that the um, that I'm streaming and come in and join it. Uh, it's the, the whole system is very strange. But, yeah, slam that like button. Got a wizard hat ready to go. Uh, so, but what is she will? So Winterfell, what are we talking about here? So the, the description George has given us in the past is that George is that Dunk is on his way to take up arms for Lord Baron Stark again to fight against the Greyjoys who have been raiding the west coast of Westeros. The starting point of it, though, is that when Dunk gets there, Lord Baron Stark has been wounded fighting the Ironborn and he's about to die. And it's going to create this massive succession crisis because. Baron Stark's heirs are still children. Uh, it's going to be Lord Donar Stark, Donner Stark, and then William Stark, I believe, is the two that are next up of his own children. But through Cregan Stark and uh, a few other now dead lords of Winterfell, the widows of the Lord Starks have essentially hung around in Winterfell. They didn't go back home. Um, they stayed there and they stayed there with um, their preferred heirs, basically. So there's it's been pitched that essentially she wolves is going to be a struggle of succession with the death of Baron Stark for which one of the she wolves essentially is going to 
make it so that their preferred candidate, some relative of theirs, their children, their grandchildren, their nieces or their nephews or something like that, end up on the seat of Winterfell, which is a little strange because we have not really seen any sort of succession crisis within House Stark. But George wanted to write one. Um, the 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 soon to be widow of Baron Stark is is Lady Laura Royce, and she's also the youngest, and she's going to be dealing with uh, quite a lot of very powerful women within Winterfell. I I don't think actually any of them are Starks by blood. I think these yeah I think these are all widows of former lords. So Dunkel show up and presumably accidentally find himself in a, again in the middle of a a massive historical event that he will solve in some way as Dunk is wont to do. Although, although, here we go. The one thing that a lot of people are <laughs> looking forward to is that Bran has a vision in A Dance with Dragons where he looks back through the, um, actually, I forget if it's in A Dance with Dragons. I, I, he has a vision through the Winterfell heart tree and he sees a whole bunch of visions. Like he sees Ned cleaning his sword. He sees a dark-eyed youth with a bunch of weirwood arrows that he's making, presumably that is... Um, that is Torn Stark's, I think, bastard half brother or his bastard son who's planning to try and kill Aegon's dragons. And one thing he sees is he sees a very, very tall knight making out with somebody in front of the heart tree. Now, people have put it together that this this is very likely going to be Dunk and the identity of the woman is going to be something interesting. Is it going to be Laura Royce, the the, the soon to be widow? of Baron Stark or or is this old Nan except she's young Nan <laughs> uh, a lot of people have noticed especially Crowfoot's daughter that there's quite a lot of connections between Duncan the Tall and Hodor they get a lot of the same uh, descriptions they get a lot of the same phrases said about them they also have giganticism they have gigantism between them and there's quite a lot of um, similarities between the relationship of Dunk to Egg and also Bran to Hodor you know, it's the the young prince in disguise with the gigantic sort of um, less intelligent, I guess we'll say, um, caretaker, essentially. So it may be that this is old Nan. And since Hodor is related to old Nan, maybe this is how you, Hodor essentially gets born. That old Nan and Dunk hook up. She has a kid with him. He from that kid, you end up getting the sons that uh, died in the Greyjoy Rebellion or one of the Greyjoy Rebellions. And then you get Hodor. So that would be that would be great. Yes. Give us hot Nan. Well, this would be a very, very young Nan because this is 90 years before the story. So she, this would be her in her teens, her late teens, probably um, dunks around that age, too. So, yeah, that's very likely, especially since Dunk through each of his stories has hooked up with somebody or almost done it. He. <laughs> Um, John the Fiddler tries to hook up with him the mystery night. He does hook up with Rohan Weber. He's going to with Tanzel too tall in the hedge night before uh, her fingers get broken. And, you know, he has to fight for his life, that kind of thing. But we also know from Georgia that Dunk ends up with quite a lot of children, uh, specifically Brienne. But there's supposedly there's, there's probably a lot more out there. So at some point, Dunk has to actually start going past just smooching Rohane Weber and cutting off her um her braid he actually has to start getting down with ladies so old Nan would be an interesting one <laughs> thirst trap Nan oh my god I wonder what her name is is it Nan is that sort of like uh Nana 
I wonder what her real name is. Yeah, yeah. Rowan Zanfier in a lukewarm tradition. Dunk ends up getting married three times. <laughs> uh, but there, there, there is also speculation that it's not uh, old Nan or young Nan, whatever, that it's maybe Laura Royce or it's somebody else within Winterfell. You never know. George can do what he wants. But this is also part of a long term plot with Dunk where for some reason um, he was born on the streets of King's Landing. He doesn't know his father. I'm not even I don't think he knows his mother. He doesn't really know how old he is. Um, actually, I think he I forget about the mother park. He definitely doesn't know who his father is, but he keeps having this recurring thought that he thinks his father is for some reason in the Night's Watch or that he's been sent to the Night's Watch for a crime. Um, so this is kind of a long-term thing for Dunk where he's always dreamed about going to the wall on the Night's Watch. Like it has some kind of pull on him. We know later that within his life, he does end up at the wall, um, for not for being sent there reasons like to join the Night's Watch, but as a member of the Kingsguard. But yeah, it's, it's, it is kind of strange that Duncan the Tall, this, um, essentially an orphan from King's Landing is convinced he needs to go to the North and the wall. And it's not really based on any information. It's just kind of like he thinks it's true. He feels it in his bones. And that is also a long term part of Dunk's story is that his intuitions seem to lead him into interesting and high stakes places within history. Like there's amount of destiny that he feels. I do agree, John, <laughs> that Rohane Weber and Dunk definitely had sex in that um before he cut off her braid and left. I think they definitely got down. I think he went to pound town, as it were. But uh, officially in the story, we don't see that, which is strange because George is usually not shy about writing his sex stories, his sex scenes. I don't know why we didn't see it if it's in there. Although Duncan Egg is sort of written for a, um, it's kind of written for a younger audience. In a way, it's it's less grim and it's less. Um, well, no, that's not true. It, it's just that the way that you're seeing everything through Dunk's POV, and since he is obsessively like Brienne the things he thinks about and the um what he gets up to are relatively tame basically yeah he does escort aim into the wall that's true I was gonna get that in a little bit but yeah sure <laughs> oh he does he doesn't know his mother okay uh but we do actually have he's answered this and not a blog this was in the back back in the yesteryears when George would actually answer questions on not a blog before comments were closed um, people would ask him questions and some of them were about Duncan Egg. So this is an this is a answer to about what he's planning for Duncan in the future. He said, but I do have notes and fairly specific ideas for a number of them. There's one set in the north that people have been calling the She Wolves of Winterfell, though will not actually be the title. After that, or maybe before, if I jump around a time, there will be the village hero, the cell sword, the champion, the Kingsguard, the Lord Commander. And several more in between. So George has really mapped out Dunk's life. He basically knows what happens to him. Um, and he probably has notes somewhere or like outlines for them, basically, that match these descriptions. So I just thought we would quickly go through these other story ideas because people usually just talk about She-Wolves and Winterfell and the Village Hero. But we do have these other names of stories he's planning to do. Um, so the Sellsword one is confusing because if you look through Duncan's history, there's no real note of him being a sellsword itself. Um, he, I mean, he kind of was when he was in service to Eustace Osgrey, but um, sellsword is generally a term that's used for um, mercenaries in Essos, 
So as far as I know, he doesn't end up in Essos. I don't know why he would call him a sellsword here. There's also no sellsword companies that were within Westeros. We get the brave companions during the um, during the story, but they came from um, Essos to Westeros, uh, but I think for Tywin Lannister. But there are also characters like Bronn, who basically is a sellsword. So it's not impossible, but usually knights don't claims to be a knight. They don't tend to tend to be sellsword. So I'm not really sure what that one's supposed to be about who you'd be selling his sword to. Um, kind of confusing, but interesting. Uh, the major sellsword company that we know about during this time frame was obviously the Golden Company. Uh, that's being run by Brendan. I mean, um, Agor Rivers, uh, Bittersteel. The Golden Company has uses the Blackfires to try and overthrow the Iron Throne. So not sure what that is. That that's the main sellsword company that comes up during this time, but you never know. Um, maybe he does end up being a sellsword at some point. Uh, then there's also the story called The Champion. So when you again when you look at Dunk's history from what we know about him, he is a champion at one time, but it's in the it's in the far future. Uh, that is after Aegon V gets crowned and the Laughing Storm, Lord Lionel Baratheon, crowns himself Storm King and declares war on the Iron Throne. This is the whole um, Duncan Prince of Dragonflies and Jenny of Oldstones thing that Duncan broke his um, broke his betrothal with Lionel's daughter and that causes him to rebel. Now, to end that war, Dunk does act as a champion for Aegon, and he fights Lionel in one-on-one combat, wins, and at that point, the war ends. That's the only known time that he's a champion, like specifically champion in the sense of fighting a trial by combat. But the other way you can be a champion is obviously a tourney champion. Two-thirds of the stories in the Dunk and Egg novels have been about tournaments, tourneys themselves. So maybe Dunk actually wins a tournament at some point. Which would be funny because he's actually pretty bad at them. He's not a good uh, jouster. He um, gets his he basically gets his shit kicked in every time <laughs> he loses badly, but he does really good in the melees. Um, so not really sure what that one's about, but intriguing. Who would, I don't know who you'd be a champion for, what scenario it would come up. But Dunk tends to take up causes that he feels very strongly about. And maybe he feels like he needs to repay somebody in the far future. Uh, especially because during his trial by seven, he ended up getting people to fight for him. Maybe he'll pay them back at some point. Uh, Missy Castle Dream says, I hope that Bullet Raven gets major screen time. I'd love to see more of him as Prime essentially ruling and mastering the puppetry. Um, we're not going to see too much of Blood Raven. He does show up in the Mystery Night, but in disguise as Maynard Plum. And then at the um, essentially at like the the ending of the story, he comes in and is... Uh, he undisguises himself as Lord Bloodraven. Um, but in some of these, it's very likely that he could show up like the village hero. Obviously, uh, Bloodraven is Blackwood. He's half Blackwood. So maybe he would pop up in that story. Um, we also have the story of the Kingsguard. That w- that's another one that George mentioned. Now, th- this would have to be after Aegon V is, is uh, crowned king by the Great Council in 233 AC. Afterwards, Dunk is named to his Kingsguard. He actually ends up becoming, I think his name is Lord Commander at some point. I'm not sure if it is right away. But one of the the main thing that happens right after Aegon is crowned, and this is kind of interesting if you're thinking about, wow, I want a lot of Bloodraven. Right afterwards, Aegon has Bloodraven arrested 
and he has him sent exiled to the Night's Watch for murdering the claimant to the Iron Throne, Aenys Blackfire. Um, Aegon decides that was Mm-mm, can't do that. Lord Bloodraven, we've had enough of you. Sends him to the Wall. I have theories that um, that Bloodraven may have gone on purpose, especially because we know it's him leaving the Night's Watch. He becomes Lord Commander, and then he disappears and becomes the Three-Eyed Raven figure. Um, there's always there's a weird pull with him to the Weirwoods. So, um, but while that happens, Dunk accompanies uh, Blood Raven along with his Raven's Teeth army and Maester Aemon on the ship, the Golden Dragon, uh, all the way to the Night's Watch and to the Wall. Then Dunk comes back. So the Kingsguard that may may feature that. If you're looking for a lot of Blood Raven, that could be um, something that comes up. Although Egg does not join him on that journey. But these are mostly about Dunk more than uh, more than Egg, really. Um, it's told from Dunk's POV. So especially when Egg becomes king, presumably he's going to feature in these stories less. He can't spend all of his time with Dunk like he does in the early ones. Um, so here at the Crow's third eye. Mystery Knight isn't named for Dunk, so maybe some of the titles are based on other characters. Well, he, he is a mystery knight in the in the mystery night. He um, he goes as the gallows knight. He doesn't show up as Duncan the Tall. Um, he doesn't want to be targeted by people that were unhappy about the previous tourney and that um, and all that stuff. So he is a mystery knight in that one. He, he doesn't he doesn't wear his. Um, where is it? <laughs> he doesn't wear this sigil during the mystery night, at least while he's jousting the gallows knight. That, that's a very um, that's an interesting one. But yes, you're right. It does also refer to John the Fiddler, a.k.a. Uh, Damon Blackfire II. He's also a mystery knight during that. So that does happen. Champion would be interesting. So we did the King's Guard. Lord Commander is kind of an interesting one because if these are in some kind of chronological order when George mentions them, then as Lord Commander, that is when he fights Lionel Baratheon um, to end the rebellion about Duncan and Jenny. Um he does it as Lord Commander. He ends it, although the champion would line up more with that one since that's what Dunk's actually doing. I had another idea that perhaps the Lord Commander story, it actually refers to Summerhall. That um that Dunk during Summerhall, if you're if you're not aware, essentially what happens is Aegon is trying to bring back the dragons for various reasons, mostly due to the fact that the War of the Nine Penny Kings is about to break out. So he goes to Summerhall. He brings seven dragons. He tries to hatch them. Wildfire gets out of control. It ends up killing most of the royal family in the flames, including Duncan Egg. But Dunk, um, it's said that with his bravery and his valor, basically, he's he's able to save Ares and Rayella. And and it's from that that Rhaegar is born. He's born that night at Summerhall. So in a way, Dunk ends up s- saving to every everybody that's important to the current plot line. And um, that may be the ending story, the Lord Commander one. But it, it could be a, it could be a number of things. I would guess, though, that um, that Lord Commander refers to Summerhall. It will probably be too on the nose just to call the story like Summerhall itself, especially since a lot of these are supposed to refer to Dunk. The Hedge Knight is Dunk. The Sworn Sword is again describing Dunk's relationship to Eustace Osgrave. The Mystery Knight is him being the Gallows Knight in the White Walls tourney. So Lord Commander could refer to him in that role at Summerhall. Um, I wonder how much magic the reveal Blood Raven to be and how much the plot 
uh, revolve around the internal Targaryen machinations. Well, that's kind of the funny thing about Duncan Egg is that Dunk and uh, I think it was Guilty Undertaker said earlier that he kind of has a forced gumpness to him. Dunk is largely unaware of the plots happening around him. He kind of has the thing he's focusing on and he he tends to get manipulated and he tends to be on the outside of plots. Egg's role a lot of times is providing um, analysis for Dunk to act on that he doesn't understand. Um, well, he's he's largely uneducated. Um, he grew up poor in King's Landing. He basically only knows what Arlen taught him. Um, so if there's Targaryen machinations about magic and stuff like that, it's un it's unlikely that Dunk will understand even what he's seeing. Like he sees Bloodraven as Maynard Plum, and he can't see through the glamour from the Moonstone. And he never even really thinks about it later. He's like, oh, that's kind of weird. Maynard looks different for a second, but then not. He just kind of lets it go. He never puts it together that Maynard was Blood Raven standing in front of him. Um, but it, he is um, Blood Raven is around until Aegon is crowned. So it's possible that during these stories, especially maybe during the village hero, that Blood Raven pops up again. He could even meet Shiera Seastar. That would be a really cool thing to see. Shiera has not been seen anywhere in the narrative so far. She's a fascinating character. Uh, she's the lover of Blood Raven, and she sort of serves as the as a source of conflict between him and Bittersteel that fuels the Blackfire rebellions. <laughs> uh, but the, these are all far in the future. Um, like I said, George is planning on finishing the Winds of Winter first, then releasing one Dunkin' Egg story, then doing a Dream of Spring, and then he'll think about putting out more Dunkin' Egg stories. Um, so we're unlikely to see any of these for quite a long time. Um, so yeah, even from these names, these are nine novellas. He's only a third of the way done. I, th I, I would like to learn about summer hall, but it's unlikely the best way for us to learn about summer hall will probably I honestly be through the show. If it's real, if it's, if it's real and it goes to production, that will probably be our best chance to see it. Um, kind of a bummer. Um, although there is, there is a, a caveat to that we'll probably never see the end of the series. George is sort of a writer that functions in terms of hot streaks. Um, when he's inspired, when he's really feeling the writing, he churns out massive quantities of stuff like the world of ice and fire. I think he went over the page limit by like three or 400%. He went way over. It was supposed to be a lot shorter and he's kept producing content for it. Fire and blood was nowhere supposed to be anywhere near uh, completion. That wasn't even supposed to come out. But George just sat down and pounded it all out in in very short order and released it. So if he's feeling Dunkin' Egg after the release of Winds of Winter, then it's very possible that he ends up, um, that he could just like wipe out a whole bunch of the novellos at once. Very, very possible, especially if, it's, uh, if he's getting uh, paid for it by HBO. Um, so, you know, don't don't count your chickens on that. Like the first three books of Song of Ice and Fire were written, I think, like three and four years or something crazy like that. And those are not short books. When he's feeling it, he writes like crazy, especially because these are all so short. These are extremely short stories. So, yeah. Oh, sorry. It's Flint. It's still 6 a.m. for you. Yeah. Can't be convenient time for anybody. That's how it goes. Um, yeah, Maynard Plum disappeared at the same time Blood Raven showed up. Yeah, don't never notice that. He never, he will never put it together that Maynard Plum was Blood Raven, but the reader can. The reader can, quite obviously. 
everyone else has read that and gotten like, oh, that was him. So actually, if you want to know what Bloodraven is like, go read the Mystery Night. Everything Maynard Plum says is Bloodraven. So that's a uh, that's a fun look into his character. If you've never if you've been really curious about him and what he's like when he talks, what he cares about, his perspective. <laughs> uh, although, um, actually, since we're talking about it, it is a little bit of a misnomer that he hasn't written anything for the Winds of Winter. It's one of those things where it's like um, there's a famous article where like George has no pages. He's actually written an absolute ton for the Winds of Winter, lar- far more than uh, would be needed for a book. It's just that his process is so non-linear that if he comes up with a good idea or wants to change a chapter then he has to go back and change like three other chapters to now match it and it ends up being a self-editing process where he just goes back and reworks things like uh uh brendan beefish and also um uh what's his name um i can't remember uh there's another reddit user that talks about this a lot you wrote the mirror and he's not hang on a second i can do this or the near blot i think it was blot um adam fellman adam fellman and brendan beefish have gone have done a lot and, and uh fellow mod zionius they've gone back at the production of a feast for crows and a dance with dragons and looked at george's notes and looked at what he said and what he's read and it, and it's quite clear if you go and read what they've uh read what they've written about this is that george has written far and away way more than one book it's just that he's um he keeps he keeps going back and editing them and changing things. He writes on, um, he calls himself a gardener, but it's actually closer to, he writes on inspiration. Oh, good point. Rosinante. Um, it seems that George is trying to create a net of events in Duncan egg, which echo the current, current song of ice and fire timeline to create a more holistic, deeper world. I, I think that's true. He does tend to write in patterns, um, like the dance of the dragons or house of the dragon is very similar to the war of the five Kings. That'll be coming up. I mean, the whole plot with Rhaenyra and her bastard kids, uh, very similar to Cersei and, and Robert. Um, he tends to write in patterns. But one thing that I think that he really likes about Duncan Egg is that it lets him tell about the Blackfire rebellions themselves. And especially from an on the ground perspective instead of in history, because during Dunk's lifetime, he sees three, no, four, he sees four Blackfire rebellions, I believe. Um, he ends up ending two of them personally, I think. Um, and he also want, really wants to tell the story of Summerhall and how that affects Rhaegar and how that affects the Targaryens going forwards and how that echoes to John and Danny and the current storyline, how the magic and prophecy works. Like a big part, actually secret hidden part of Duncan Egg, it has it has a lot of exposition about um, prophetic dreams and Targaryens in the relationship to magic and dragons and those prophecies themselves and how it personally affects them. Um, for instance, Egg early on and uh, mystery night says that he had an egg when he was growing up and that he thinks that he will hatch them one day and that will be splendid Darren the drunkard his older brother is a prophetic dreamer himself he pre- he uh, essentially prophesizes the death of baylor breaks spear a, a day or two before it happens um so i've written about that i've made videos about that i think Eamon the dreamer talks about that but essentially that these stories are about Duncan Egg, but they're also very much about the relationship of Targaryens to magic and prophecy. So it, it ends up being quite a lot of exposition about that kind of stuff. So let's go into um, if there's going to be a Duncan Egg TV show, like how will this be made? What will happen in it? Um, so we heard from the release from Variety. This Again, none of this is confirmed. This is just a source within 
HBO talking to a reporter. Uh, nobody's confirmed that they've said it will be uh, hour long episodes. Um, one problem with this, though, is like I showed from right. Where did I put it from over here? These are relatively short. This is all three books or novellas in one. So there's you kind of end up with the Hobbit problem where there's not there's not really enough info in each of these novellas to really stretch out into um, into sort of a Game of Thrones like TV show. Um, and they're also they're rel- they're very relatively constrained. These are not um, like A Song of Ice and Fire where they where you're following sort of a larger plot line. I mean, there is one, but Duncan Egg are really episodic in nature. They they jump around just a day or two at a time in Dunk's life. And so, yeah, that, ma- that makes it hard to turn into a TV show with hour long episodes. There's also um, a big part of, for instance, The Sworn Sword is a huge amount of that novella is just exposition about the Blackfire rebellions. Uh, oh, uh, Gonzalo JV, you're going to talk about the new castings in House of the Dragon. Uh, not today. Maybe actually I have to work next weekend. I think I might do a, vi- a short video about it or something like that. Um, so, yeah, there's there's not a ton there. And there's also a big problem with it in that. The story of Duncan Egg from beginning to end, starting at the Hedge Knight and ending at Summerhall, Egg's actor uh, is going to have to be recast quite a lot of times. Uh, they had this problem with the Stark kiddos where they all uh, outgrew their roles by quite a lot. Um, obviously, Bran, Arya, and Sansa ended up as adults by the end of the show, even though in the books, by the end of the Dance of Dragons, I think little over two years has passed. So that's going to be a big problem with making this as a TV show. You could just recast Egg a bunch, but yeah, that's that's not great. And especially because of the early ones, uh, he stays relatively the same age between them. Not that much time passes from the Hedge Knights and the Mystery Knight. So that would make, make for some tough TV making. Ah, you guys are talking about, yeah. So what, what are some ways you could make this? Um, so one option is actually just mentioned in the chat here. Um, Alex B says, I wonder if you'd be a mini series for each novella. So that could be a thing you could do. You could make like one season, just the first season be the hedge night and you have it be like four one hour episodes or something like that. Um, a similar one is you could just take each one of the novellas and may, really drag them out for like an entire, like 10 to 13 episode season. Um, so like season one is just the hedge night start to finish. Um, this would allow you to do a few things. For instance, uh, you can add in a lot more backstory, especially about the Blackfires. You don't have to wait for the Sworn Sword if you're doing an entire season based on just the Hedge Knight. You could do it early. Um, and also a lot of backstory on Dunk. There could be a lot of flashbacks to his time in King's Landing, uh, more time with him and Arlen. You could even start it before Arlen dies. Um, so that that could be something you do. Um yeah, more of Dunk's backstory. Uh, th- that's this is also a problem with Dunkin Egg that you're going to run into as you turn this into a TV show. This is not a th- this is a first person narrative just from Dunk's POV, which means you run into a lot of what I call the uh, <clears throat> the Jon Snow problem, which is that Dunk is outwardly a much more reserved person he, um, than he is on internally. He thinks about a lot of things. He remembers things. His perception of things are not 
are not really um, expressed. So when you're talking about what's going on, if you're trying to follow dunk around a narrative, um, it's going to be a lot harder to tease those out. So you're going to have to make up scenarios for him to say or express these things, uh, largely not through dialogue, or you're going to have to make up new scenes to do it. Um, so that that is a problem with adapting Duncan Egg, where if, what if you made it an entire season with just one book, you could make those moments come out. So that would be... Um, That'd be pretty good. A Song of Ice and Fire so far, no. It's only about two years, basically, um, from Game of Thrones to the end of A Dance with Dragons. It's been like two-ish years, something like that. It's very short. Like, you run through um, you run through a Game of Thrones to a Storm of Swords. I think that takes place in like nine months or something crazy like that. But anyway, uh, so what are some advantages of you doing it this way? If you do an entire season of just one of the stories. Well, you get to know the characters a lot more. Um, you'd be spending tons of time with Dunk, tons of time with Egg. Um, you could also introduce lore characters you're going to introduce uh, later on in the, in the Dunk and Egg novellas. I mean, in the, in the TV show itself. Um, you could pull them in earlier than they normally show up. Like, for instance, the tourney uh, for the Hedge Knight has quite a lot of people there, but we don't meet a lot of them. They're sort of in the background. Well, you could write you could write them in to be characters that show up later in the sworn sword or the mystery knight or the village hero or anything like that. Um, without much disruption to the story, especially if you're trying to fill a little bit of time. So that, that is one big advantage. Um, it also gives you a lot more time for George to finish more stories. Basically. Um, he's only got the three out there. So if you want the village hero, if you want the she wolves of Winterfell to be like seasons four and five, well, if you drag out the first three novellas a lot longer, you can you can, in theory, give him time to finish it. Although that it was kind of a problem with Game of Thrones, where he said he totally had time. He would finish the rest of the books and he has not done that. So kind of a bummer on that one. Um, also, for this is coming up quite a lot with the House of the Dragon announcements, with the casting announcements. Uh, if you make it longer, you can make a far more faithful adaptation where you leave almost nothing out from the novellas. Every line, every scene, every action, you could you can put them in there. there you don't have to cut anything for time. Um, so that if that's something you're really interested in, if you really want like words on the page to be exactly on the screen, the longer the season the more likely you are to get all of that. Um, oh yeah, good call, Jay Moray. Could have Egg's Blackwood Queen appear and even track the headshot. Yeah, totally. There's a lot of people at that tourney. You can just have them show up, um, layer them in. Actually, I've been watching the um, the Expanse TV show. Uh, I've been doing something different than I did with Game of Thrones where I'm reading the books first and then watching the show. And what they did for the for the Expanse TV show versus the Expanse books is that they've inter they've introduced characters long before um, they show up in the books like um, Avisarala. She shows up in season one of the expanse when she doesn't show up until the second book. Anna, who's from, I mean, spoilers if, if you, if you haven't seen the show, but Anna from the third book starts showing up during the second and third season, I think when she shouldn't be there yet at all. Um, so you could do a very similar thing. That would be great. Um, and uh, the other major advantage is it gives you three full seasons of content. So if you're HBO and you're thinking about, well, if we want people to essentially what happened, what happened with Game of Thrones is a lot of people would sign up for HBO 
just to watch Game of Thrones and then cancel until the next year. So essentially, they want to get people to sign up for as many months as possible. So from a business perspective, having three full seasons for the novellas, like 10, maybe 9, 10, 13 episodes would be really good for them. And that might help them sell it on um, on producing the show. Uh, I was I was going to get to disadvantages, but you guys just brought it up in the chat. Aaron and Guilty Undertaker are talking about this. Uh, one of the problems, if you take these relatively short novellas and try and stretch them out into a whole thing is that there's a there's a good chance that you're going to have to put in filler side quests, essentially, or extra characters. You might get a lot more time on Arian. You might see a lot more from Tanzo. You might see a lot more from like um, from Darren the Drunkard and stuff like that. And that happened with the Hobbits, with the Hobbit movies, where they took one relatively short book and turned it into three movies to the point that they that Peter Jackson and his team ended up having to make up quite a lot of extra content just to fill those movies. Um, so and a lot of people criticized The Hobbit for that, where it wasn't just that they added extra things. The things they added weren't that uh, weren't that great. So if you're worried about that for Duncan Egg, if they're going to stretch out each of the novellas, then that's a very real concern. Um, Another disadvantage of doing it this way is that the audience might get very bored. um, If you're going through an entire series, if you're going through an entire season of just one of these stories, um, it could end up being like a little bit 24 ish or something like that, because there isn't, there are like climaxes within the hedge knight and the sworn sword and there's like obvious places where you could cut it for an episode but there's other ones where it's like there's not a lot happening and a lot of it's internal to dunk and it's um not not something that's super cinematic so especially if they get bored of the idea of the tourney itself they may just click off because it's like just like putting too much what's the what's the phrase um (laughs) from like stretching too little butter over toast. Uh, Bilbo says that at one point. You could end up with that. Um, ooh, good call, Sam Flanagan. Blood Raven and Sea Star would be good filler. Absolutely. Uh, you could definitely do a lot more with background Targaryen stuff um, while this is all happening. It doesn't just have to focus on Dunkin' Egg themselves. But again, you run into the problem where that's not my Blood Raven, that's not my Shear Sea Star, that kind of stuff. Um, so. Yeah, that is that is definitely an issue. Um, and as I talked about with the Jon Snow syndrome, where they actually actually this is kind of a problem with the Expanse too, where James Holden has a a lot of a lot of <laughs> what he expresses versus his internal world are very different, and he ends up coming off like John, like very broody and angry and kind of stern all the time, when there's a whole world of conflict memories thoughts within it that he's dealing with that he doesn't really put on the screen so the expanse writers have to figure out ways to tease the internal world of holding out and you have to do the same thing with dunk um that would not be super it depends how well done it is it um it may be bad it may be good but that is something to think about <clears throat> hey stephanie frederick uh anna you beat me to it so the section option is um oh yeah, good call, Joseph Mins. Uh, Mines, Mins, Mines, whatever. Uh, points out you could spend time with Egg's sisters, which would be improvement in the books. Yeah, George does not write almost anything about. Um, we know next to nothing about Egg's sisters except that they tried to give him a love potion once, and then they get married and disappear from the narrative entirely. 
Um, the same would be for Shiera Seastar, where Bloodraven and Bittersteel get a lot of time on page. Um, Shiera gets basically nothing except how she relates to Bloodraven and Bittersteel. So if you wanted to explore the more the female side of House Targaryen, that would be a great way to do it. Um, so, OK, so what's the what's another option where you could do this? Well, you could do kind of like Sherlock. You could do a a series where each novella is like one very long episode, like maybe an hour or more. You make them like movies. I mean, the initial pitch here says that it would be an hour. But the, again, this is early development. Everything's going to change by the time it makes it to air. So um, hang on a second. Let's check in PayPal. Okay. Um, so you could do something like that. You could make it so that the first season of Duncan Egg is like three episodes long and each one is one of the novellas. So the first episode would be the hedge Knight. Second episode would be, um, sworn sword. The third episode would be the mystery Knight, And then you would essentially take a break for a couple years and then come back and do more stories. Um, or you could do, um, a short series with those three novellas and then fit some in between. Like maybe you do one where it's more dunk when he's younger, you could, um, you could find more, th- you could essentially make up more episodes in between, but this would be the option that would probably have the most um, inserts by the writers rather than coming directly from Gurm. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so what, what are the advantages of this? Well, rather than just focusing on like one tourney, like you would for the hedge Knight, uh, you could have a much wider variety of adventures that you see from Duncan egg. Like, even just from those three novellas, I mean, there's similarities between them, especially with attorney things, but they're very different stories. What happens to Duncan Egg and each of them is vastly different. So this could let you entice an audience more with um, with more novel um, entertainment, basically. So that's a very good thing. You could also see a lot more character progress, because if you're just doing one season per novella, they don't change that much from start to finish. It is, it is more through the each of the novellas together that you start to see changes in Duncan's character, um, challenging Egg's preconceptions, him starting to grow up, all these other kind of things. Th- those are more spread out rather than internal to each one. Um, it also keeps the Duncan Egg ser- series moving with, I, I guess the way you would say it is kind of like a narrative velocity. It would keep the story going so that you got to Summer Hall or you got to them growing up and presumably um, more interesting court intrigue stuff much faster. You wouldn't be stuck in the kind of travelogue style. I personally love the travelogue style. Um, some of my favorite shows are like that with like Firefly and Cowboy Bebop. Um, the Expanse is pretty good, too. So kind of the episodic nature of it would would keep the narrative flowing a lot faster rather than like really digging in deep on like, I, I don't know, like Tansy, the Tansel too tall or, um, or Arian bright flame or something like that. You'd see more characters, more things would happen. Uh, it could also bring the book audience a lot more excitement for what they're going to watch because rather than waiting three, four years before you even get the mystery night from when the hedge night comes out, you'd be able to see them all at once. And that would be a, a very exciting proposition to see um, all these novellas translated at once. But so but there are some uh, some big disadvantages with kind of doing it this way. You sort of blow you blow your wad basically 
all at once. You only have three novellas to work from. And if you burn through them all in one go, that's basically all your germ material that you can adapt got. And afterwards, uh, you might see a, a drop off essentially in, um, in quality because it would no longer be pulling directly from finished stuff. Maybe going to the writers to make up new stories. Maybe going to essentially Germ's outlines and his notes rather than his finished prose. And for better or for worse, um, quite a lot of fans were unhappy when Game of Thrones went off the rails from the literal stuff Germ had already written. So if you want that, if you want all Gurm all the time, if you just want his writing, this would be the worst option for that. Um, Cause you know, you know, a song of ice and fire fandom is, as I was saying, very famously accepting of writers other than Gurm writing in his universe. They, we, uh, we love it. It's one of our favorite things. Everybody wants to see anybody other than Gurm writing uh, stuff for his stories. So yeah, it would be very bad for that. Yeah, uh, Jay Moray saying flashbacks could be done. Uh, points of time like imprisonment and travel. Yeah, definitely. They could do um, the the ep- if you do an entire season for one novella, you could have a lot of flashbacks for Dunk. You could have like a young Dunk's things where it's him in the streets of King's Landing. There's actually in the mystery night, there's a really good flashback where he's in King's Landing and Blood Raven is going down the street on a horse in his armor or something like that. And he turns and stares at Dunk with his red eye. And Dunk describes it as one of the scariest things that's ever happened. That would be a really cool thing to put into there that you could uh, you could draw out for an entire episode. <clears throat> but those are those are kind of it. You can do you can do a, a short series, a, sh- a mini series, essentially for each novella. You could do a full season of content off each novella or you could try and sort of do a Sherlock style where. Um, where each novella is just one like movie quality sort of episode covering start to finish. Uh, uh, I I left this out. Another disadvantage of doing it the Sherlock style is that you would be forced to cut some things. Probably Um, these, these books are, these novellas are relatively short, but they're not that short. If you wanted to compress them down to like even an hour or movie length, you'd have quite a lot of problems with that. There would be stuff left on the cutting room floor, if you did the other two, you'd be able to put in basically everything that uh, translates well to the screen. Uh, Dunk, uh, I don't know if I don't. He has no family he knows of. He's essentially just an orphan. Uh, so we got some questions here um, for the last 20 minutes here. I got some from patrons. And um, if you guys want to throw them into the chat, start going at them. We'll answer all your questions about Duncan Egg and but the what kind of show we're talking about, any of that other kind of stuff. So, you know, at this time, you can at me, bro. You can at Joe Magician. Uh, so a question here from email. Uh, this was from Maura Lee. She gave that super chat earlier. Again, thank you, Maura. Uh, she said, uh, quote unquote, are there any true knights like you? Compare and contrast true knights who made up and knighted in the, in the books, like uh, Brienne of Tarth, Sir Duncan the Tall, the Hound with the Knights of the Kingsguard, like Sir Jamie and Sir Arthur Dane. So that's one of the things that George really likes playing with. The idea of characters who are not knighted but hold up the ideals better than the characters who have been knighted and are just total shitheads. Like, I think the biggest example of this, well, <laughs> I didn't mean this as a pun, but Gregor Clegane 
was knighted by uh, Rhaegar, Rhaegar Targaryen. And it's Gregor who ends up eventually killing his wife. And he's essentially the worst example of knights in Westeros. And yet he was knighted by the crown prince as a favor to Tywin Lannister. Um, so George really likes uh, thinking about that in terms, especially because, well, <laughs> if you don't know this, George is from a relatively rough part of New Jersey where corruption is pretty, pretty well known in that part of the world. So there's quite a lot of people that got things they didn't deserve, got things that they bought, got things that came from just corruption in society. And the idea of characters who are better suited for something or better examples essentially being left out because they don't have the connections. They don't have the right upbringing. That's one of the things he really struggled with himself. Uh, He grew up poor as well. And he's obviously he's obviously a very smart guy. He's he's well read. He's been a massive success in his in his time. But a lot of that was a was a big struggle for him. And he would seek uh, people around him who success came to easily from family connections, from family money or other kinds of families, basically while he didn't have a lot of help on his own. So the, so you can see how he kind of identifies more with characters like Brienne Dunk and the Hound who are these characters who um, are the best examples that never really get there. I guess is the right way to say it. Yeah. uh, His family was wealthy, but not when he was growing up. Uh, They lost their family fortune at a time. Uh, He talked about that at the fire and blood release event. And, um, and in uh, dream songs, he's also did a thing where he talked about that series. uh, Who do you think you are or whatever? It's a genetic show. And George talked about the downfall of the Martin family before he was born. And also, um, you can think about this not just in terms of like the characters themselves, like Brand versus Jamie or Arthur Dane um, versus the Smiling Knight. This is sort of the I, part of this is sort of a criticism of um, of people in like the military and the police who are ostensibly like who stick to their vows, who stick to their jobs, but because of the position they put themselves in, they sometimes have to do crappy things because. That's that's what they that's what they're told to do. Like if you want to talk about um, like Arthur Dane, the, the famous one is well, not just Arthur Dane, but Jamie's example of he hears Ares essentially beating Rayella and he wants to go in and help her. And he's told, no, you were we, we have to protect Rayella from everyone but him. And it's kind of like this weird tension of vows versus those vows getting in the way of morality and being good people. So he really loves thinking about that, um, contrasting them. It works on different levels, but it's quite clear that George self-identifies with characters like Brienne, Dunk, and the Hound. Um, and her second question from uh, Morley, she says, what about Duncan Egg's relationship um, that makes this such a fan favorite among A Song of Ice and Fire readership? So one thing that works really well between them, uh, why, why do people gravitate to these stories so well? One thing is that they are they are much um, they're much smaller stories. They're they're not the trying to track the war of the five kings. And you're going from King's Landing throne room to Stannis's camp. Then you're going to Rob in the Riverlands. And you oh, by the way, you also have to keep track of John at the Wall and what's Danny doing. It's like it's these very you get the same kind of quality of characters of uh, writing and characters, but it's in a much more um, condensed version. And especially because it's only 
one POV, basically. It's only from Dunk's perspective. You get to know Dunk quite a lot better. Um, plus the the relationship between Dunk and Egg themselves, the idea that um, Egg is sort of the, the brains of the operation. He knows all the different characters, but Dunk has the, the street smarts. He has knowledge of how to, how to survive in this world when you're not a prince. There's always there's some part of the other character that fulfills a weakness with its opposite. When, when egg doesn't know something dunk does when dunk doesn't know something egg will, if dunk has some kind of weakness in that's being exploited in the story, dunk egg will often fill it in in some way. So it ends, they end up being um, very well crafted to fit together. And, and there's, and there's kind of like a, a real genuineness to the relationship. It's not really transactional. Dunk isn't really getting anything out of traveling with egg at some point. At the end of the hedge night, when he's talking with Maycar, he's essentially like he's not asking for money. Uh, he does get offered to go be a knight at Summerhall, and he turns it down. He's not going to be rewarded with this by being on the Kingsguard. He, Egg and Egg and Dunk like each other; they're friends, and I think that comes through in a way that is sometimes hard to find in a Song of Ice and Fire. Um, some of the closest ones would probably be like John and Sam. It's a similar kind of relationship. <clears throat> Oh, I answered your question before we got there. Okay. But yeah, thank you for the questions, Maura. Those are good ones. Uh, let's see here. Ah, Raiders of the Grey Waste. They ask on Patreon, why do you suppose Egg's dad, Makar the First, never remarried? It seems like a missed opportunity to forge a strong alliance through marriage, especially after becoming king. Um, when we meet Makar in the Hedge Knight, he's a, he's a fairly joyless person. He's known as um, kind of a hard ass. Part of the reason that Lionel Baratheon actually joins the melee to the, the trial by seven on Dunk's side is because he thinks it would be fun to mess with Maycar. That he's um, he's kind of a humorless dick. You can you can infer that maybe part of this is from the death of his wife at some point. Um, you know, he's uh, he's also quite stubborn and he tends to be quite, quite brooding. Uh, at a certain point, I he ends up just going to Summerhall and staying there. And not really going anywhere. Uh, people make fun of him saying Maycar is pouting in Summerhall, not able to go anywhere. So um, it, it's he's, he doesn't seem like the kind of person that lets a lot of people into his inner circle. Um, he uses his gruffness. He uses his lack of personal skills, essentially, to create like a wall around himself that very few get into. Uh, yes, he also had six kids. Uh, yeah, very similar to Stannis. Um, yeah, you can imagine the relationship between the Laughing Storm and Makar is kind of similar to Renly and um, and Stannis. It's a similar kind of like enjoying messing with the stern, humorous dick kind of character. Um, I believe when he came to the Iron Throne, he wasn't that young anymore. Also, uh, if if he survived longer, maybe he would have gone another strong al alliance through marriage. But this is also you have to keep in mind that this is in the shadow of the Dance of the Dragons. And. Uh, a sitting king remarrying and producing more heirs is the exact plot of the Dance of the Dragons. And it's, it's especially since Makar doesn't exactly have um, the best options for heirs, to say the least. Arian Brightflame is a psychopath. He, he doesn't want him on the throne anyway once he becomes king. Daron the Drunkard, um, he... He's called Darren the Drunkard because he drinks himself silly all the time. He's plagued by these dreams and he's basically non-functional. 
His other son, Eamon, has joined the Citadel and he's a maester. So, and he clearly has expressed no desire to gain power in the throne himself. And then you have Egg, who has spent most of his life traveling with this weird hedge knight. You don't really know what's going on with Egg. And after that, you decide your two daughters. So Makar remarrying would, while it would create alliances that would help against the Blackfires, it's very likely that if he produces any heirs, uh, any male heirs, it could end up being a civil war down the line, which he doesn't really want. My eyes look like a Targaryen. The crown prince is back. Really? My eyes look like a Targaryen's? My eyes are pretty blue. They're not purple. Maybe it's just the glare from my glasses. <laughs> yeah, uh, Daron's prophetic dreams essentially immobilize him. They make him non-functional as a member of society. So, yeah, not doing great. Make our, yeah, he really doesn't have great heirs. Uh, they're already facing one rebellion threat from the Blackfires. Introducing another is unlikely to get him to lead to more stability within the Targaryen line. So I think that's why Makar never really, um, never really remarried. He doesn't have the disposition for it. It's also not a super great idea at his point. Oh, it's the, yeah, the reflection from the monitors. Yeah. If they go over my eyes, they kind of look purple. Um, Sis says, do we know what happened to bright flame after he gets sent to Lys and the free cities to cool off? We don't know a lot. Um, he supposedly had a daughter or a son named Magor. Um, that got passed over in the Great Council. Uh, we can assume that he essentially did the same things that Magor did. Uh, Arian Brightflame and Magor are are basically supposed to be seen as parallel characters. So you can imagine Arian maybe um, join a sellsword company and go kill a bunch of people in disputed lands. Uh, maybe he just spent his time being a rich asshole um, in in cities with slaves and like torturing people. That's basically what we see him doing in the Hedge Knight anyway. So. You have to assume whatever he does in um, what he's doing in the free cities is not kind. And he's he doesn't come back a better person. He doesn't come back less insane. So I don't think his uh, his cooling off in the free cities really did anything. Um, But so what happens after he comes back, he ends up he's. He ends up dying, drinking wildfire, thinking it will become a he'll become a dragon or something like that. Very strange death for him. It's not like he was poisoned. He just straight up picked up a thing of wildfire and drank it and then died. He was a part, I believe, of Akar's reign, at least near the end. And he like joined in part of the military things, but he didn't he never had really had a lot of power. Um, he was kind of marginalized the rest of his life until he drank wildfire and died. Didn't he kill after one of the Blackfires after he yielded? I think that's Blood Raven. I think that was Annie's Blackfire. Yeah, he's just an asshole. <laughs> Arian's an asshole. Uh, let's see here. Beatty's soul makes the point that Lovecraft's family was also wealthy, but lost his wealth before HP's time. Had a big effect on his sensibilities as well. Yeah, one of George's favorite authors growing up was HP Lovecraft. So you can imagine that he felt a sort of kinship with the idea of a Northeastern um, being a member of a Northeastern family that used to be wealthy and no longer is. And kind of the idea of a lost inheritance, which... Lovecraft is obsessed with in his own stories. Oh, Hagen Blackfire. Ah, different person. There's a lot of Blackfires that are killed in weird ways. Uh, Rosinante says, it's curious that no one tried to help Daron tackle his issues. Incorrect. Eamon did. After, um, after Makar tried to force Eamon to become Grand Maester, he instead became Daron's personal maester for several years 
and spent all of his time day in, day out with him at Summer Hall until his death. Um, I wrote about this in my in my video, Aiming the Dreamer. And, and let me look, let me grab these these for you because I talked about this quite a lot. Um, I would find it very unlikely that Eamon spent all that time with his brother, who his siblings think are is a legitimate prophet and didn't like get anything out of it. Like, what did he write down? Did he study how how Daron's dreams came true? I think he probably did. Uh, here we go. Um, pyres and blood. But um, Eamon essentially made it his mission to try and help Daron to be like a functional member of society and eventually king. And it didn't end up working. Um, much to his great shame, we hear about it in um, in a feast for crows where he says when he dies, as he's dying, will he see Daron um, whole and happy, implying that Daron was a broken, um, a broken person from when he knew him. So that would be that was Eamon was the only one that tried, really. Oh. Uh, see here, twenty dollars from Aaron. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you very much. Very generous. Uh, she says, pick one character from Duncan Egg and fan cast it. Okay, <clears throat> one character from Duncan Egg and fan cast them. Oof. You guys were doing this earlier. Um, see here. The hard part about this is a lot of the character, a lot of the Targaryens in this are the um, would have to be wearing terrible Targaryen wigs. Um, hmm. although this is actually a problem with casting dunk is that he's supposed to be like insanely tall. He's supposed to be close to seven feet or something like that. So finding an actor that that's tall, it's going to be a lot of shots looking up at him, whoever it is. Uh, who would be good for this? They're all relatively young. Hmm. <laughs> you have to stress about the wigs. Oh my God. People lose their minds over the wigs. Jay Moray wants Carl Urban as everybody, apparently. Um, let's see here. Let's go with make uh, Liam Hemsworth. We'll make him dunk. That's my fan casting. It is written. <laughs> uh, he has kind of the right body type. He has the right looks for it. Plays sort of similar characters. So I imagine a Hemsworth would make a great dunk. Although he's supposed to be younger, but, you know, you could kind of change that if you like. Eustace Osgrey would be a fun one. Um, somebody said earlier that Mads Mikkelsen is Bloodraven. That'd be a pretty good one. He just shows up with the, they make an albino with the eye patch and he just ends up like a badass. That'd be kind of fun. Well, isn't Liam the, Liam's the youngest Hemsworth, right? Yeah, I think he's the youngest one of those, uh, of those brothers. <laughs> I'm not good at fan casting. I don't, I don't do it very much. Um. Not really my, not really my, my thing. Like, I think I said initially I wanted Damon Targaryen to be like, um, what's his name? <laughs> I wanted it to be Orlando Bloom, uh, Orlando Bloom. And that's, that's just a bad idea. <laughs> he was never going to do it. Um, band casting is the way to madness. I got a few more here from Patreon. We'll try and, we'll try and, uh, get through these. Cause I know, uh, radio Westeros is going live at five o'clock in an hour to talk about uh the danes i'm definitely gonna be watching that they're gonna talk about dark star that's gonna be awesome um so a question from uh patreon you had liam mullen who said with the news that they would like to do an animated show i personally think this would be the one what are your thoughts i think um animated duncan egg would be a great call it would be um 
of the spinoff shows they're going to try and do, it would make the most sense because you're following just a smaller cast of characters. It would allow you to show, especially like, uh, I don't know if you guys have read the comic books on Dunkin' Egg, but also the artwork that comes in the Night of the Seven Kingdoms. There's quite a lot of ridiculous things happening in those books, uh, especially armor and sigils and all these other crazy things, especially. And if you're just trying to like capture Dunk, Rather than like fan casting somebody, just drawing him the huge brawny mass that he is may be the easiest way to go about it. Um, it would alleviate all your problems with having to recast Egg a number of times. You could just draw him older as he gets older. And it would. Um, one of the weird things would be, though, that at some point, Egg's going to Egg's. I mean, Dunk's going to start fucking. And do you want to start drawing Dunk having sex? I don't know. Maybe. Uh, same creative team as Avatar The Last Airbender. Yeah, that'd be great. Although I think it would be kind of fun to go a different way. <laughs> Make Duncan Egg an anime. Give it to the guys that made Cowboy Bebop. I think that would, I think they have the right style and tone for that. They also made the um, Samurai Shampoo, I think it is. Hang on a second. Let me check this. Yeah, they made uh, that one too. Yeah, they've got the right um, the right style. They've made episodic sort of wandering characters before. I think those would... If you want to go like an anime style, I think that would work really well. I don't know if they'd be interested. Who knows? Uh, those those guys tend to tend to make great work. I would I would be definitely on board for that. Uh, the Avatar The Last Airbender 2 would also work. Um, again, that has a similar sort of episodic travel log thing. Aang and uh, Avatar Aang even kind of look similar. They both shave their heads. Either one. Um, I think both of those types of shows have the style down. And I, that's... That'd be kind of cool to see. It'd be a very different way to see it, especially if um, if you're releasing an entire slate of Game of Thrones products, like if you're doing House of the Dragon and you're doing Robert's Rebellion and there's Game of Thrones that exists, maybe the way you make Dunkin' Eggs stand out is you give it to animation. It would also maybe draw in a different audience that um, people that maybe just exclusively watch uh, cartoons and animes and that kind of thing. <laughs> Ill know. <laughs> when, no, the graphic novels are good, but some places they're kind of ridiculous. But I, I've used some of the images like the um, the thumbnail from this is from the graphic novels. A uh, question here from Eric Ferg. He says, uh, do you do you do they play Rohane Weber as more manipulative villain or as a sympathetic victim? Do they ever make it to her disappearance? So this is one of the things that could come really be really interesting in terms of how far you take the Dunkin Egg universe. If you go off of this, if you try and do more stories that are around Dunk that aren't necessarily about him. So the idea is that Rohan Weber, after Yusuf's August, so he got dies, they get married. Um, wait, flip that, flip that around. They get married, then Eustace dies. And then down the line, she gets married to Gerald Lannister. And she ends up becoming the wife to one of the most powerful men in Westeros. So how would you show that? Surely they must have interacted at some point in the future. Um, the Lannisters are one of the great lords of Westeros. Egg ends up king. They, they must have crossed paths again at some point. And that'd be interesting to see. But obviously that's not on the page at any point right now. We're nowhere near that. Um, and if they make it to Summerhall, I think that would be one of the things they would um, they would bring back, especially because nobody really knows what happened to Rohan in the end. Um, she like she literally disappears. There's speculation that Gerald killed her. He didn't do a really good job of denying he did it. 
Um, so that could be something. But I think one of the more um, romantic explanations is that Dunk and um, Lady Weber never ended up uh, hooking up later and that she ended up being tired of the Lannister life or she knew like uh, Gerald was going to kill her. So she gets Dunk. She runs off with Dunk or something like that. Like, for instance, there's the Cleganes. And one of the interesting things is that there is quite a lot of similarities between um, Sandor and Dunk. It's not just Brienne. They all they all have similar kind of story arcs to themselves. There's the strangeness of their of their giganticism as well between Gregor and Sandor. Like maybe they're dark versions of Dunk, that kind of thing. Um, it would be interesting, though, if that's what ended up happening to Lady Weber rather than just being killed by her husband for some reason. Um, maybe she escaped. <laughs> Do not let M. Night anywhere near our series. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and do they play her as a manipulative villain or as a sympathetic victim? Um, the thing is, she's she's both. I mean, she is a sympathetic victim in that she's being bullied by Lucas Longinch into a marriage she doesn't want that she can't really get out of because of the way women are tre- treated in Westeros and how few rights she has. And she's bound by the will of her father. I believe that's what's going on there. Um, and she ends up manipulating the events so that Dunk kills Lucas Longinch. Then she marries Eustace, knowing he's old and that he dies. I mean, I, I think to Dunk, she's the sympathetic victim. And that's the lens we see her through. But I think if you made a, a TV show about it, you could see her doing more of her plotting, especially from within cold mode. Um, maybe talking to her maester. That's where Dunk ends up getting a lot of the information. He talks to her maester. So that would be... Um, You'd be able to see both sides of her, which is which is interesting. She, I mean, she's a very smart character. Uh, I don't know. Any, I don't think she's a villain, though. It's um, she's definitely manipulative, though. not necessarily a villain. Like one of the things she does very cleverly is that she lets the idea of the Red Widow essentially do the talking for her in a lot of situations. Actually, funny enough, that's the thing that her uh, descendant, Jamie Lannister, does. And also Tyrion, they end up using their reputations to manipulate people to do what they want ahead of time, even though they don't really have to do anything to encourage it. It just kind of works for them. <clears throat> Sorry about that. Um, let's see here. One last question from Patreon. Uh, Eric, he also says, how many clues do they give off that egg? may be the madman by Summerhall, particularly in light of the failures of season eight. Um, so, what the, what's talking about here is the theory. Um, the one that I'm a proponent of personally is that there was there is a certain amount of theories out there that Summerhall was caused by the Maesters or um, his lords that were unhappy with him. That essentially the dragon eggs were going to work, and there was a hit put out on Egg so that the um, the wildfire got lit and ended up killing them. Um, I go the other way, and I tend to think that it will be. I tend to think that Summerhall was Egg's fault and that the wildfire got out of control because he got out of control, that he got obsessed with the dragons, the hatching them. Um, there's a weird, a very strange connection between Egg and Arion and Ares, and that they all seem to have this obsession with wildfire and the return of dragons, and that maybe the prophecies got to him. Maybe Egg started believing that he was a child of prophecy himself. I mean, that's that tends to be the story for a lot of Targaryens, especially those who reach um, the level of king. 
that they they get sucked in by prophecy. They think they are the prince that was promised. They think they're Azora High and things go crazy. Um, but the, a lot of those hints are already in the, the novellas that we have, uh, particularly in the mystery night when Egg's talking about Daron's prophecies and how he wants a dragon himself and that he thinks that Daron's dreams always come true. It shows that even from a young age that Egg has um, quite a connection to the supernatural and the world of the occult before even long before he gets the summer hall. Um, yeah, I agree. Guilty undertaker. I like summer hall better as a result of eggs. Hubris agreed. I, th- I think that, um, I think that George sets it up in sort of a, everyone trying to kill egg way that they're all, they all have reasons to do it. But I think the one that resonates the best is that in the end, it was eggs fault that he was trying to, save Westeros. He was trying to save his family. Um, maybe he was getting letters from Aemon about Bloodraven and maybe things stirring beyond the wall and believed they had to get the dragons back. And it's those things that drove Egg to try and hatch the eggs again, not understanding it. And it ends up being his own fault. Um, yeah, true. Uh, Liet says there's a lot of foreshadowing that Egg's words would get them killed. There's also the idea that Egg's, I mean, Dunk's boot ends up being an important part. There's a line that um, that Dunk's foot is worth the life of a prince. They're talking about Baylor Breakspear, but it could be foreshadowing by George that ends up being that the another prince that is saved by Dunk's boot is uh, Rhaegar and Ares, basically. Um, I also talked about this in the videos I linked earlier, that it may be that Egg believed that Daenerys walking out of the flames, that there was a consistent... Like there was an there was a ripple effect of that in the world of prophecy and magic that that moment was so it's such a, a, a magical changing point in the world that much like the undying that it rippled across time and space and that maybe egg and Ares and Arion saw different versions or may, or especially Daron as well. They saw different versions of that and believed it was them. I tend to think that um, what ended up happening at Summerhall is that egg constructed like a funeral pyre, just like we see with Danny and Drogo and like tried to climb on top of it with the eggs to hatch them. Dunk ends up freaking out and tries to save him. The wildfire goes everywhere, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but uh, I think unlike season eight, um, some people, I, I disagree with the assessment that there was nothing else to hint to the fact that Danny would um, eventually like burn down a city or do something um, quite as drastic as she did in season eight. Like I, I made a video where I laid out different examples from the books in the show where for a long time, they've been sort of pushing that eventually she's going to end up that way. But those, those hints are definitely available already in the Duncan egg novellas um, that egg was probably going probably behind summer hall but not in like an evil way that it was um, he was trying to he was trying to do something that he felt was right. Something that he felt was like um, that would help out the world and, and end up going the wrong way. You can also can't um, discount the influence of Blood Raven since we know that he can send magical dreams to people if he wants. Um, but anyway, stray too close to Danny there. Probably going to get some unhappy comments on the end of this. Uh, you guys have any last questions here? Um, throw them in the chat. I'm going to probably going to finish off in the next few minutes. Yeah, I'm just going to, if I missed anything, we check Patreon. 
Oh yeah. So to go over again, what you have coming up, there'll be the lady Stoneheart video. There'll be the sand Kings patron only episode. Um, that'll be coming out in podcast form. There will be after that, there'll be a video about Stannis where I will very reluctantly not roast him for all his many faults. Um, at five o'clock in about 45 minutes from now, Rio Westeros is going live to talk about house Dane. I hope uh, that's definitely where I'll be going. Uh, let's see here. Question from Carson Page. Uh, biggest fan wish that you hope to see? My biggest fan wish. Um, I mean, honestly, I would like to read She-Wolves of Winterfell and um, and The Village Hero. I think, I mean, obviously I want to read The Winds of Winter. I want to read The Dream of Spring. The Duncan Egg TV show sounds like it would be great. But I would like personally, my biggest fandom wish would be to read more of Duncan Egg. I think those books, those novellas are wonderful. They are amazingly written. They reward you on multiple rereads. Duncan Egg are just like wonderful characters to look into the minds to. I love the way that George ties in larger themes from the rest of the books into sort of these simpler, um, simpler formats. It's almost like th- there's sort of an idea in where a lot of really good innovations comes from limiting yourself in some way, or it's like um, desperation is the mother of innovation or something like that. There's some phrase like that. And because George is constrained to only writing through Dunk's POV within the series, it ends up, he, he can't make up other POVs to go see the story from. He can't bounce around to another part of the world. He can't see people that Dunk doesn't see. And that way I think it kind of, forces him to creatively come up with really great and elegant solutions within the story and just excellent prose. Anyway, so get Brendan Beefish to talk about Stannis. Oh, I think I've heard that one already. I've heard a lot of Brendan Beefish talking about Stannis. I actually like listening to Emmett talk about Stannis more because <laughs> Emmett um, roasts him the entire time. But um, in his own words, the things he hates about Stannis are, are essentially what makes him love him instead of standing Stannis, it's more of a um a much more palatable way all right so i think that's about it um did not hit the likes thing so no special hat today um i don't think i'm gonna be streaming this coming weekend i believe i have to work so i'll probably see you guys in two weeks um also i, I might do a video on the um the casting news for house of the dragon um that fun bomb that came out across the fandom that has led to People arguing in every social media you can see about the very, very apparently difficult thing of <laughs> trying to exp- it, it drives me nuts. I'm sure you guys saw me on Twitter. I was I am I have no patience for for people that are upset about the casting news. Anyway, um, yeah, I'll see you guys at five o'clock for Radio Westeros.